Hey, special educators, I'm Jennifer from Positively Learning. Welcome to the Special Educators Resource Room. If you're like me, you're always looking for ways to save time and streamline your work. That's why this podcast was created to give you the systems and solutions you need to get your time back. Tune in for tips, tricks, and tools that will help you manage your workload and make the most of your time. Whether you're brand new or experienced, all are welcome in the Special Educators Resource Room. Hey, Special Educators, it's Jennifer from Positively Learning. Welcome back to a new episode. We are going to be busting some myths about the inclusion classroom and collaboration between gen ed and special education teachers and co-teaching. This is a continuation. In the last episode, I tackled myths one through five, and now we are continuing with myths six through 10. I had planned to do them all together, but if you listened to that last episode, I got so worked up. I was sipping hot coffee and I was literally starting to sweat because this is such a touchy topic, right? But now I'm back. I'm better. I have some ice water. I am ready to keep going. I highly recommend though you go back and check out the last episode. At the end of this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what we can do with all of this information. I will also put a link in the show notes to a blog post that wraps up all of the myths together. All right, let's get started. Myth number six. Special education teachers are only needed in the inclusion classroom for academic support. All right, well, let's break this down. We can see that it could look like that from the outside looking in, that we are there in the inclusion classroom setting because we have students who may have aligned academic goals. So, okay, that makes sense that we're in the classroom to help support students and provide accommodations, but we are there for so much more. Special education teachers often have training in behavioral strategies and social emotional support and adaptive life skills. So our role is multifaceted and we are there for so much more than academic guidance. Easy. All right, let's move on. Myth number seven. Okay, this one is tough. Collaboration results in a watered down content for general education students. Can't even believe this is a myth that exists, right? but we know it's out there and most likely it's outside of the education profession. So you don't need to waste your energy defending, but just in case you do, one thing you can say is we are not simplifying the instruction. We're not lowering expectations. We're not dumbing it down. I hate that expression. But instead, we are making sure that the content is accessible for all students. So we're delivering it in a way that every student can understand and benefit from. So if we're making content accessible, we're not simplifying it, but instead we're using different teaching strategies and tools so that every student, regardless of ability, can access and grasp that curriculum content. Enough said. Myth number eight, too many teachers in the classroom can confuse students. Now, I already have a problem with too many teachers, the way that was worded. In my experience, it can feel very busy. If you have a gen ed teacher and a special educator, and maybe you have multiple paraprofessionals and you're all working at the same time in the same space, it can feel very busy, but I didn't see that as confusing. If you have clear roles and you're collaborating, have Having multiple educators in the same classroom 
provides more attention and more consistent support, which I think students would find reassuring versus confusing. But if it does appear kind of chaotic, you can take a step back and see how we are approaching it as adults. It's our responsibility to make sure we are working cohesively and not in isolation. You don't want students to think, well, I can approach this teacher, but not this teacher in the classroom. We don't want them to feel like we're not a united front, but instead we're all working together and we're all there for the same reason to support students. I know you know this, but if you are finding it to be a little bit of a busy, chaotic feel, you may want to step back and look at those roles and have that conversation. Moving ahead. Myth number nine, inclusion classrooms are noisy and disorganized. I really don't know why an inclusion classroom would sound noisier than any other classroom. I think if there's a level of disorganization, that's just a whole nother issue and has nothing to do with inclusion. You can have a well-structured collaborative classroom and educators can be communicating effectively and it can be just as organized as any classroom setting. I personally love that little bit of noise, that buzz. I call it productive chatter. I find that if students are in active learning with each other, that that's great. They're engaged and you can still have clear routines and clear expectations, whether you're in a inclusion classroom setting or not. So definitely a myth that that is something that is associated with being a inclusion classroom. Myth number 10, wrapping it up here. Inclusion is just a trend and it will phase out. Well, I really hope not. I know that a collaborative approach has research to back it up and has shown benefits for students and for educators. Is it trendy? Well, I guess so. We do hear the word inclusion and inclusive practices quite a bit. We know how education works. The pendulum swings back and forth. But I really hope that the elements of inclusion won't be phased out, and I don't expect that they will. I think we're going to continue to see more diversity in classrooms. And as we reflect and we evolve best practices, we're not going to see this as a trend, but instead implemented more and more, especially as we deepen our understanding. We have wrapped up 10 myths between this episode and the last. I highly recommend listening to them back to back. And I've put all 10 myths together into one blog post. I'll put the link in the show notes so you have it. As special educators, of course, we're always advocating for our students, but we may also find us ourselves in positions to advocate for ourselves. And although I know with all of these myths and debunking these myths, this information was most likely not new to you, but hopefully it gave you some ideas if you do need to have those conversations to speak up for yourself. So here's my question for you. How can I make this information more accessible? We have it in a podcast to listen to and in a blog post, but would it be helpful to have this in a handout or maybe professional development slides? I have a co-teaching manual that has supportive information in it, but would it be helpful to also have these inclusion myth busters available? Let me know. I'd be so happy to put that together for you. 
Thanks so much for listening. And I will catch you next time in the special educators resource room. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I'm dying to ask, what'd you think? Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. You can find the show notes and links for everything mentioned in this episode at positivelylearningblog.com. See you next week for more special education solutions.